0: A business has to have stories in it, or it's boring. We highly recommend that our clients have stories in every single chapter of the book because we want to captivate the client. We want context with the content. Yes, there's teaching points, but the teaching points are related back to the story and the content. There still have to be stories that keep people
1: captivated and interested. Welcome back to the Honest Marketing Podcast, where you learn proven strategies to grow your business without selling your soul. Now, a couple of weeks ago in our kickoff episode for the year where we talked about how to recession-proof your business, one of the things that we talked about was looking for blue ocean marketing strategies, taking advantage of marketing opportunities that your competitors and other people in your space aren't looking at because it's just kind of like a funky economy right now, writing a book could be one of those blue ocean opportunities for you and your business in 2023. It allows you to put your fu- your name and your business out there as someone who knows what they're talking about in your industry. You're able to display your expertise. You're able to connect the dots for prospects, help them become clients, and and so much more. And the guest that I brought on today specifically to talk about this, this is what he does. Rob Kosberg has helped over 1,500 authors become bestsellers, specifically in the business space, business owners that want to grow their business, get more revenue, get more clients, build a legacy, and so much more. And he shares all kinds of really knowledgeable insight and tips for if you've ever considered becoming a, an author, writing a book, and how you should do that if you want to get the kind of promotion and publicity that becoming a best-selling author can give you and your business. Now make sure to stick around to the very end of the episode where I give you my number one takeaway from my conversation with Rob. But here it is. Let's dive in. So Rob, it's the year of our Lord 2023. Do people even read books anymore? Is that is that still a thing?
0: <laughs> well,
1: I do. <laughs>
0: Maybe that's because I'm in the book business though. Uh, no, I mean, people are reading like crazy. People are buying books like crazy. So yeah, it, it's funny. I was just on right before we jumped on this, I was just on with a New York publishing house and, uh, and there are actually more bookstores opening since COVID. Uh, So they're having like this, I don't know why, I don't know if it's COVID related, uh, who knows, but they're actually having a bit of revival. There are more bookstores opening right now than there were five, six, seven, eight years ago. So,
1: yeah, wow. I think people are reading. (laughs) I wonder if, I wonder if that's some kind of like, uh, you know, uh, internal, like tribal reaction to like, being locked down, it's like I need to go to a place and I need to smell. I need to smell paper, and I need to like yeah. go to Barnes and Noble and just like read a book I have no business buy or would never buy, but you know, just <laughs> give me some parchment, you know, something the tactile yeah. feel. Uh, yeah. well, that's good news. Yeah, I mean, yeah,
0: because I, I guess it is. I mean, I when was the last time you bought a book at a bookstore, right? I mean, like I, we buy all of our books through Amazon anyway, or through Barnes and Noble, or or some some other. You know, like you said, people go into bookstores to drink coffee and and
1: peruse magazines and books they have no intention of buying. (laughs) Yeah, but and and a little tongue in cheek at the beginning, but you know, I think uh, being an author, which we're going to be talking about today, and how having a book, even in a very digital age, social media saturated age that we're in, is still a really valuable asset for your business. And if you're a business owner or a founder or an entrepreneur, especially if you're thinking forward to Wanted to do some kind of personal brand in the future, I think a book is fantastic. And Rob's the perfect person to dig through all those details. Um, you know, both of us are still our bookworms. I have a whole bookshelf behind me that can't even get close to fitting all the volumes I want to put into it. And I think the, the power of a book is really being able to distill your knowledge, your expertise, and your wisdom into a format that is accessible as a, almost like a first date card, right? So maybe if you're in like B2B or you have high ticket or... Whatever, like, they're not ready for the enterprise solution yet, but they are in the fact-finding journey of starting to go down the path of maybe using your business or maybe seeing you as a solution to a problem. And a book could be a really great first step or a first date and say, hey, here's a very low obligation thing, $13 on Amazon, and it'll teach you a lot, but also help start to build that relationship. Have you, have you seen those, that kind of impact, those kind of results for, and and that being a really good reason to think about writing a book?
0: Yeah. I like your, uh, I like your analogy. Uh, Let me expand on a little, the buying, the purchasing of the book is the first date. Um, but the falling in love and the marriage proposal is the reading of the book. Or or the hatred, and I never want to. <laughs> I never want to be with this person ever again in my life. Right? I mean, because I have purchased business books um, from people that I wondered about using their services, hated the book, and decided, you know, I'm 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 not going to go in that direction. So, but on the other hand, um, I mean, I can't tell you the number of people who have purchased my book, read my book, and then just you know, turn themselves in, right? Like, okay, how do I get started? What, what's the what's the investment? And so, yeah, I mean, the the purchase of the book is great. You know, we use book funnels and whatnot, and that purchase point shows a uh, much higher intent than just an email. But that's still the first date, even though there's a higher intent. If someone reads it and they're still on your list and interested in you, you got them. I mean, they they're... They're going to become a client if they can afford your services.
1: Yeah. So if, if we're thinking about this from a funnel standpoint and like a customer journey standpoint, it's a little bit more, it's more valuable than like a lead magnet opt-in, right? Give you your email for a PDF download. It's more valuable than that, but it's a low ticket offer. And so they are saying, okay, I'm willing to put some cash into this game to learn, to get this knowledge. Uh, and so as a lead generating opportunity, I think there's a really, really valuable asset that you can have, even if it's an ebook. Maybe it's not a physical book, but it's an ebook that you have as a PDF that you can send. Um, And when you think about like businesses writing books versus individuals writing books, is there a difference in how you approach it or how you think about it? Um, You know, do you have any stories or or clients that kind of share both of those, come from both of those different places? Um, or is it mainly just like individuals that want
0: to, it's always author centric, right? Or at least, you know, at least I think the the ones that are most interesting. Now, now those two things, you know, they're not mutually exclusive. Like, like people read my books that are by Rob Cosberg, but they join bestseller publishing my company to become clients. So it 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 doesn't need to be a bestseller publishing book. Um it is a bestseller publishing book because I'm the founder of it. So those things aren't exclusive. They're conjoined because the business is me, so to speak. I'm I'm the spokesman for it. And and to, to mention this about what you said at the very beginning, it is it is more valuable, but it's it's actually way more valuable to have somebody make an investment, even a small investment like my my ebook funnel, my digital book funnel is only $4.95 initially. We have found that is nine times, that person is nine times more likely to buy from us in the future than someone that just gives us their email address and their name. So that is, that's a considerable difference. Um, you know, 9x. For somebody willing to do that. So, yeah, I mean, the whether it's a book or not, it could, you can could have some other kind of liquidating offer on the front end. But um, the book handles more than just the lead. It also is, as I noted, it's the falling in love process. Right. It's the wow. I, I love the way Travis does
1: his thing. Oh, well, thank you, Rob. I'll, I'll take that to heart. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> so, so there's certainly like a business case to be made. What, what would be some other reasons why entrepreneurs or founders uh, should consider writing a book beyond just, this yeah. is going to make me money in the future. Are there any other um, reasons, like legitimate reasons why a book really makes sense for somebody?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll give a few. There's, there's lots of good ones, Um uh, many of them do have a commercial aspect, um, so but it might not, might not be because of a funnel or a direct purchase. But, you know, uh, many people come to me because they're speakers and they want to speak more. Uh, they want their message out into the world more. And uh, statistically, uh, speakers that have books and books that are bestsellers, are paid significantly higher speaker fees and get more opportunities to speak. So if you want to speak for your business or if you are speaking, um, even just to get your message out, maybe it's for a nonprofit or maybe it's for a passion project that you have, then a book will give you more opportunities and will even get you paid. Um, I, I heard a, a good one the other day that I've always talked about, but it's always been like number nine on the list of of ten reasons, um, but someone gave it to me as their first reason. I thought that was interesting. I, I was like, okay, well, maybe I'm I'm misinterpreting my own personal data. But that is, uh, a lot of people are um, unconsciously competent in their business, like they're really good at it, and and they do it, but they don't even know what they do. Uh, if you know what I mean, like like it's just, you know, this this unconscious. A, a competence that they have in success, and a book forces you to like categorize your steps, your process, your system, and it's really cool. I, you know, I had a a, a very um, a very successful uh, financial advisor who built a, a large organization of financial advisors. He had a really big exit recently. And he, he and I were talking and he told me the number one reason he wrote his book was because um, he he needed to figure out a way to systematize the thing that he's been doing for 40 years. And I was like, wow, that's that's cool. I, I know that that happens because that's how published for No Profit in some ways came about. But, um, you know, for some people, that's, you know, a, a bigger issue uh, than others. So so speaking Obviously, lead generation, um, PR and media, getting your name, your brand out, uh, and probably the last and and really big for some people is legacy. You know, um, uh, many people want to leave something beyond their money to their children and their ancestors and to the world. Um, And, you know, leaving your your stories, uh, your examples, your failures, your successes, you know, I wish I could read about that from my great grandfather, right, uh, or my great great grandparents who came over uh, during the Russian persecution of the Jews by the Czar. I mean, I, I, what was that like? I would, I'd like to know, but I, you know, it's lost,
1: right? Yeah, they didn't have Instagram back then either, so you can't see, uh, you know, their family <laughs> I gatherings. Can't
0: I can't see any pictures. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I imagine depending on. Your reason for writing the book, the the shape or the content of the book might shift, right? So if the goal is, uh, you know, for it to be a cash flow generating thing, then, you know, my guess is the book would be more information centric. Here's a process. Here are some steps. Here's some things that you can learn and be educated. And then here's the next step. A next step beyond this might be working with a company like ours. But if you're more of like the legacy leaving mindset, then it might take more of the shape of a memoir of looking back at your life and your experiences and your stories. Uh, so, so like what, what are those different kinds of approaches look like and and how do you help somebody who's thinking about writing a book, decide which kind of book to write that's really going to be yeah. what they're looking to do. Yeah. Okay. Let me try to unpack that. There's, there's several questions in that, right? Uh, <laughs> and, and ask me questions too. Like if I'm not cl- clearly identifying things, I'm just the listener. Yeah.
0: I like your questions. It may just take a few minutes for me to answer them. Um, so surprisingly, um, both kinds of books, like you, you, you gave a couple of examples, um, the legacy book, that's more memoir versus like a business book. Surprisingly, you need the same elements in, in both books to make it interesting. Um, now there may be uh, different, um, mixtures of those elements, right? Like, like a business book, a business book has, has to have stories in it or, it's boring. And and you don't want to read a textbook, right? I've read enough textbooks or, or pretended to read enough textbooks in school. Uh, I don't want a textbook. Um, so, you know, we require, uh, that's probably not a good word, but, you know, we highly recommend that, you know, our clients have stories in every single chapter of the book because we want to captivate the client. We want, we want context uh, with the content, and so, yes, there's teaching points, but the teaching points are related back to the story and the content. Now, in a business book, the stories may be case studies, right? Maybe client stories more than your own personal story. But there still have to be stories that keep people captivated and interested. Um, a memoir, you know, sure, maybe the stories are a little bit um, heavier weighted. But truth be told, I mean... You know, I mean, I've read some memoirs and I'm like, you know, teach me something, dude. Like, I, I you know, I, I, I'm being honest, right? Like uh, Ray Dalio's Principles, uh, you know, New York Times bestselling book. It's this thick. It's an encyclopedia. And, you know, in some ways, there's parts of it that are just boring as heck. It's like, you know, uh, you know, I, I, it, it wasn't it wasn't all put together uh, in a great fashion, if you ask me. Now, the principles part are fantastic, and I wish those things would have been better integrated. They're they're not. They're almost two completely separate and distinct parts of the book. So so from my perspective, you need both of those things. You gotta keep people interested. And and you should also wanna teach people. Uh, and and maybe there's a little more keep people interested and less teaching in a memoir. And maybe there's a little more teaching and a less, you know, story base in a business book. But not much, if, if you know what I mean. So, um, you know, my, my thoughts on it anyway, from my own personal reading and from what I've experienced.
1: Well, and I and I think what you're uh, drilling down to is, you know, because because you're in the best you're you're in the bestseller business, and so it's publishing, but specifically with that angle, uh, there are certain things that separate a best-selling book from a book that sits on the shelf and collects True. dust, right? Uh, yeah. And you know, for someone who I've self-published a book at one point in time. So I have close to zero experience in the publishing world. Um, <laughs> I imagine there's a there's a content piece and then a marketing promotion piece, right? You can yeah. write the next American classic, but if no one knows it exists because it's in your closet, then it's not going to become a bestseller or have the impact you want it to have. Or you can have fantastic marketing promotion and then it's a book with no stories in it, or it's a, or it's a book that falls flat or doesn't deliver on the promise of the concept. And then that falls flat. So, so I imagine there's a give and take between those two, but maybe we start on the content, right? And maybe you dig into this in your book, which we'll definitely link, uh, in the description for this episode, but what, how do you approach content from here's the concept, here's the goal for the book. Now let's actually start putting some words on paper. Like what is it actually going to be in the book and, and how do we make it compelling so it can be a bestseller?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great, great questions. Um, and both those ingredients are really important. Like, like you said, your examples were right. I mean, you have to have great marketing, especially if you don't have a huge platform. But even if you have a huge platform, you're still marketing. You're just marketing it to your huge platform. Uh, if you don't market, then your book is not going to be sold. It's going to be, you know, sitting in the middle of a desert. Um, at the same time, though, you want your content to be compelling um, because you're, you're selling. I mean, a Ray Daly's book, gosh, I don't know. I'm using it as an example, but... Since we're on that track, I mean, it's a book that probably hit high on the New York Times bestseller list, but it's not that great a book. Why did I buy it? Because he's Ray Dalio, because he built the largest hedge fund in the world, because he's super smart, and I wanted to learn what his principles were, and yet the book itself wasn't really great. There were parts of it that were terrific, uh, too long and too unnecessary. Um, With that said, you can and should try hard to keep your book short. And when I say short, I mean, you know, 35,000 to 50,000 words is a great length of a book. That's that's, uh, 150, 75 pages to 250 pages. There's a lot of, of, um, of data that shows that consumption falls way off after about 200 pages. And so you want people to consume it, which means... You know, if it's too big, people are going to be afraid of it. So that that's a part. Size is a part of it. Um, what we do with our clients and and what we recommend is there are um, a little like the hero's journey. Whether they're case studies that they're they're telling or whether it's their own story, uh, they want the story. We want the story that they tell to be compelling. So we want there to be points of of drama. Uh, because there are in these stories right there's points where businesses are on the verge of failure there's there's points at you know which people are on the verge of real bankruptcy or financial difficulty and we we use open loops in stories meaning we don't culminate the story we leave it at the dramatic point so you know i mean it's a little like the soap operas right uh, of the of the 50s and all the way to today where Uh, You know, there are uh, story arcs, and there are three, four story arcs in every single soap opera, and every story arc is at a crescendo when they break to commercial. Now, there are three other story arcs that aren't at crescendo, but one is, and then they come back from the commercial, and then the next story arc is reaching its crescendo, and on and on and on. Why do they do that? Because people stay interested. So if you can if you can mold that together with the content that you're teaching, then you'll keep people engaged and excited. They want to know what happens uh, to that entrepreneur that that is just like them, right?
1: Yeah, I mean the example that I thought of when you're th- talking about open story loops is uh. Tw- 24 when that first came out and it was yeah every single week fantastic. you're like, wait, who just got kidnapped? What just exploded? I have to wait a week.
0: <laughs> okay, right. Oh my goodness. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. exactly. And that's why uh, shows are binged mm-hmm. today because they're fantastic at, at leaving you, you know, with a dramatic conclusion that is open and your brain just has to know what happened.
1: Yeah. And as you're walking through all these different techniques that you use to help make the content compelling, uh, I immediately was like, okay, that sounds very overwhelming if you've never written a book, trying to like not just write something and write something that you're proud of, like that you'd actually wanna share with people, but then weaving all these different techniques and best practices into it. So when you're working with clients, is it like a ghostwriter that you bring in to help write the story? How much of it is originated from the entrepreneur or the business owner? How much of it is interview based that's turned into text? And then like, what does that process look like from the standpoint of, I don't have a ton of time, but I want a really great book and I want it to be from me. Like, what does that actually look like in practical terms?
0: Yeah, um, I, I teach uh, what we call enhanced ghostwriting and, and I, I trademarked it um, because it is something that I've never seen kind of taught. I don't come from the traditional writing or publishing world. So this has been just, you know, uh, me trailer parking it together. Like what <laughs> makes the most sense? You know what I mean? Uh, and 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 since I grew up kind of poor and uh, my English teacher in high school would turn over in his grave if he knew that we had launched 1500 bestsellers, uh, you know, I mean, we, we put together what is best practices and what works. And so, the, the short version, the shortest version of what that looks like for someone, because it can be overwhelming, is go watch really great TED Talks. Um, they're 17 minutes long, and the best ones all have a similar flow. They start with a great story that's being told. Oftentimes, the story is not culminated. They're, they leave an open loop in the story, which means they just don't finish it. And then they teach here's what I learned, here's what I did, here's how I changed. And then they come in and they culminate the story and conclude it. And 17 minutes is actually the great a great length for a chapter of a book. So, you know, it, it's a very simplified version. You, we can make it more complicated, and we do with multiple stories and multiple arcs and all of that. But if someone wants a simplified version, just write that way. Write your blog post that way. Write, write your social media post that way. Uh, you know, write... Uh, you know, not everything, but but keep that twist in there. Some people will get annoyed uh, by it after after a while. So you know, keep keep changing it up a little bit. Um, but that's the simplified version. The the more complicated version of what do we do? So we're a done for you company, um, and we can do whatever people need. If someone wrote their entire book and they say, uh, you know, can you edit this and and let us know what you think? We can do that, and and we can give them a a full kind of assessment of what the challenges are, the issues, what we think should change, et cetera. If someone comes to us and says, we want your help in, in writing it. And here's uh, 30 podcast episodes. We want you to listen to we'll say great. Um, but that's not going to be enough to write a book. So we're going to need those podcast episodes, but we're also going to need like stories that relate to the content within each chapter. And we have a whole process of developing that uh, on the front end. Um, so, so, you know, we, we build this, the skeleton first, right? The hook, the title, the subtitle, the table of contents, and then the content for each chapter. Then we can fill in the blanks with stories, content points, open loops, et cetera, et cetera.
1: So there's more to it than just opening a Word doc and start typing things.
0: That's <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> you know, I've had people come to me, uh, one, one in particular, and said, Hey, I really I really need your help with my book. Um, it's it's all over the place. It's a thousand pages. W- what do you think I should do? And I said, I, I this is absolutely true. I said, you know what we should do? We should you should come over. We should have a bonfire and make <laughs> swore over that. I said because I can't do anything with a thousand pages. And then it's, it's only 800 pages too long. You need to start over. I mean, that, that's somebody that actually is a disciplined person, but that's what they did. They just, they got in the car and they started driving and they expected to reach San Francisco and, <laughs> and they don't know where they are right now. <laughs> no, you need a map, man. We, we need a, we need the quickest way to get to the end.
1: Yeah. <laughs> too true. Too As in most things in, in business and in life, right? You just can't, <laughs> truck off. You You start
0: with the end in mind. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And you need a strategy, reverse engineered strategy to get to where you want to go. So, so let's say that you have this, this fantastic literary masterpiece and, and you want to, to get some promotion. You want to get some traction. Uh, Do you need to go through a publishing house? Like the, uh, all of a sudden just blanked on all like penguin and um, yeah, so the other house,
0: Simon, Fusher, Simon yeah. Schuster, Schuster, do you need to do one of no. the,
1: or can you go self-published?
0: Yeah, you totally can. Um, and obviously Amazon lowered the bar significantly. Um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. Like I told you earlier, um, this is a whole new, I've been doing this for 11 years now. Um, but traditional publishing has always been, even to me, a, a bit of a world of mystery Um, uh, traditional publishers are in some ways the enemy of what we do because they're the gatekeepers, even of good content. Uh, they, they don't care so much about your content. Uh, when I say the gatekeepers of good content, I mean, sometimes they keep good content out. Because what they're looking to do is they're looking to publish books to people that already have built in audiences and platforms, because they're trying to make money that it's obviously I mean, we all need to, to make a living, but that's their their focal point. So Amazon lowered the bar, which is really, really cool. It gives everybody an opportunity to publish. But that creates its own problems, right? That means anybody can publish any piece of garbage and call it a book and, and have three people buy it all in the same 30-minute period. And, and now they hit number 11 on you know, the tiny category bestseller list, and they consider themselves bestsellers. And so sometimes the definitions um, of what is a, a bestseller and what is a book get skewed um, but I would still rather live in that world. I'd, I'd still rather live in the world where we have more opportunity rather than less opportunity.
1: Sure, well, and that makes sense because as you said, like the whole purpose of the publishing houses is to stay in business, which means selling books. And yeah. and, and that's how they make money, right? Is we paid X amount to make the book and we sold it for this much and here are your royalties and here's our profit. And so they're not necessarily interested or their primary focus is not how good is this book, but it's how many copies can we sell. And so that's where you'll yeah. get these just huge sums of you know advances to these celebrities where you're like, well, it doesn't matter if Barack Obama's book is good. A million people are gonna buy it. So it's gonna be profitable. Exactly. We're gonna publish it. A hundred percent true.
0: and and that's right for
1: every um,
0: uh, authority or big personality um, that you see that writes a book. Every president that, you know every first lady, Um, you know, I mean, they're, they're the, these, the penguins and random houses are, are capitalizing on their fame and their platform. There's nothing wrong with that, but for the rest of us, um, we might not have any of that. Right. And we might have something good to say too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and being able to, and, and you even talked to a little bit about like Amazon and how those bestsellers or how those lists work, which is very gamifiable because you can even... I'll I'll confess here, Rob, because we're in we're good in your company. Uh, Yours is a
0: bestseller, right?
1: <laughs> I am an Amazon bestseller. Yes. Uh, Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know you can you can publish a Kindle version of your book. You can make yeah. it free for the first week, and you can promote yeah. the the heck out of it and get a bunch of people to download it for free in like a one hour window, and then I'll shoot you up. So I was I was over some like Kerry Newhoff, Francis Chan level names in the Christian leadership space <laughs> for a three-hour span. Amazon best-selling author right here, you know? Uh, so so I I feel much better. That weight has been lifted off my chest. Uh, well, I'm glad this confessional could help you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, and so there are different levels of not just notoriety, but I would say weights to different lists, right? So New York Times yeah. historically being the the one that, has done the best job of promoting itself as far as being like, if you're here, you're somebody, um, yeah. whether that's true or not is, is up for debate, but they've done a great job marketing them, their list, uh, USA today, uh, you know, and, and several others, Wh- which, Wall Street th- Journal. Yeah. Wall Street Journal. Which of the, are those the big three USA Wall Street Journal New York times? Interesting thing, though, um, (laughs) Wall Street Journal,
0: uh, uh, USA Today, just had uh, huge rounds of layoffs about a month or two ago. And they inadvertently or purposefully, I don't know which one, laid off the one person in charge of the USA Today bestseller list. And their bestseller list has been on hiatus for a month now. So they don't even have, there's not even a USA Today bestseller list for books right now which is the dumbest thing in the world. Like, They've got to fix that, but who knows if they will. Um, I would say the most prestigious is New York Times, but that's because, as you said, they've done a great job with their own marketing. Um, The New York Times is actually not a bestsellers list. It is a curated list, which means it is a group of people that are deciding based on the content if they feel like it should be on the New York Times list. Oftentimes, the best-selling books don't even make it to the list because their politics don't match, uh, their ideas don't match what the people on the, on the committee think. Um, Bill O'Reilly famously um, uh, kind of exposed uh, his own dealings with The New York Times because uh, his Killing Series books, when he was on Fox News, were uh, the best-selling books in America. Uh, by far outsold everything um, in their category, uh, millions of books a year. And he was left off the list completely for extended periods of time. And so, you know, um, we unfortunately in in the business don't and can't give too much weight to the New York Times because it, it isn't, you know, it's not as fair uh, from that perspective. The Wall Street Journal is probably my favorite because it's a business-related um, uh, list, and it is a list that is based on pure book sales. If your book sells, then you're number one. If it outsells everybody else, then you're number one. If it's, you know, number two, it's number two. It, it's not curated in any way. So I love USA Today. I love if they bring it back, and, and Wall Street Journal are my favorites. And, you know, Amazon and Barnes and & Noble are are big. I mean, when it's, when it's done right, Amazon is still the 800-pound gorilla, that's where a lot of sales come from. I have one author in particular that does a um, million dollars a year just in royalties, which is crazy. I've never heard of that before from uh, an author that I've worked with. Um, but uh, and 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 it's because of her. It's not because of anything that we did. But uh, she is very prolific. She's written forty three books, and it's all mass. It's volume. It's you know it's huge. Anyway, we're we're getting off off track a little bit. But Amazon is where the the vast majority of her royalties come from so it's still the 800 pound gorilla in this in the space
1: sure well and i appreciate you kind of pulling the back the curtain there a little bit because new york times has always been kind of like a black box to me it's like put a bunch of data in and there's been random stories about you know uh titles getting listed there that nobody's ever heard of by publishing houses nobody's ever heard of and it's like somehow they they, gave a few hundred sales yeah
0: and and they're on the list that that absolutely happens all the time yeah then they make the list legitimately the next week because everybody that reads the list goes out and (laughs) buys buys the book. I mean, yeah, right. But, but it's, that's a self-fulfilling, you know, prophecy there.
1: Sure. Well, and and I imagine most of your clients are business oriented. Um, and and this may be a tangent, but it's a podcast, so we can do that. We don't, we don't have a commercial break coming up. Um, where there's even like different categories within it. Right. So it's not just New York times bestseller, but it's like in a specific category like yeah. children's nonfiction three through seven. Like I I just made that up, but I I don't know if that's a category or not. Um, yeah. But how much of the strategy too is aligning the content with a particular category of a list? Like, is that a part of the picture as well? Like we're gonna strategize the mess out of this to give it the best shot of hitting with all these different factors at play. Like what are some of the other things that you do to get it prepped and ready to promote to really Help it have longevity and legs in those kind of lists.
0: Yeah, well, you, you said two things that um, are a, a little bit at opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So, longevity versus, do you want to find a category that you can game, mm-hmm. right? So, so there there are plenty of people that will put it in as small a category as they can find, and. You know, there are certainly smaller categories, but there are about 500 plus categories on Amazon, and there are tens of millions of titles. So every category is going to have, you know, plenty of competition. But there are smaller categories that you can try to game. We don't do that. We try to play the long game. uh, And the long game is you get it in the right category, you get it in the best categories where, you know, it has similar books that are competitive, but also that are complementary, right? I mean, you know, somebody that might want to read a book on, on writing and authorship might be interested in my book published pro profit. And so you really want your book in the correct categories. You want to play the long game there and, and not try to, not try to gamify it. Just, just do the, do the right thing, market it hard and, and it'll go well.
1: Well, and, and I think really speaking to, you know, the value of metrics that matter versus vanity metrics, like choosing a category that's not exactly the perfect fit, but you can maybe get a higher ranking. So you can say you're a bestseller versus I want to put it in a category where the perfect person for this book is already gonna be hanging out and where they're going to get recommended. They're going to see it. And so in the long run, I'm going to help more people, sell more copies because it's listed, right? Even if the number on the rankings list isn't as high as it would have been otherwise.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very true. There was a, there's a, a pretty well-known uh, guru. I'm not going to give his name, uh, but you'd, you'd know who he is. And uh, he uh, he jumped on the uh, bestseller um, bandwagon maybe five or six years ago and was doing events. And he would charge everybody, I don't know, five grand to come to the event. The event would have 60, 80, 100 people in it. And what they would do it was a bestseller event, become a bestseller in three days, even if you don't have a book. And what they would do is literally, and I know this not because I went to the event because, but because someone came to me and I'll, I'll tell the whole story. I'll try to do it quickly. But basically what they would do is, you know, they'd bring all these people into an event. Um, they would spend the two or three days to create a great cover with a graphic art, a graphic designer. They would help them map out what the table of contents would be. And then they would actually publish the book that weekend with that cover, with that table of contents as a, a coming soon book, as a pre-sale book. And then what they would do is everybody in the room would, for 99 cents, buy each other's books. So they would hit the bestseller list for three hours, four hours. This is, I'm, I'm serious, it, 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 it's devious. It's, 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 uh, it's genius and devious all at the same time. And so imagine what happens now after that. So the vast majority of these people never write their book, Right. Uh, and so one day a woman calls me up and she says, Hey, I went through this program. I need some help. I need to complete my book. Uh, you know, it's, it's been up for pre-sale for a long time and, you know, I, I need to do something with it. And, uh, you know, I used it to, to, uh, you know, grow my list and, and grow my authority in the space. And she gave me the name of the book and I looked it up and she had like a half a dozen reviews. All of her reviews were one star and all of them were just railing on her as to, you know, we bought this book for 99 cents uh, or, you know, as pre-sale some time ago and it still hasn't come out and it's a scam. And and I said, you know, I said to her, I said, look, um, you, you wanted to do this book to build your reputation. I said, you need to take this down immediately. It is destroying your reputation. That this is we we can't fix this, right? Uh you, you need to you need to remove it. So You know, if you try to play the short game, it'll come
1: back and bite you in the butt, man. It it usually does. That's a a recurring theme on the podcast here. (laughs) True, true. Yeah, shortcuts. It sounded genius, though.
0: That event sounded genius, right? I mean, he made, uh, you know, he'd make a couple hundred grand uh, doing a weekend event. Everyone would become a bestseller, and then everybody was worse off afterwards. (laughs) Crazy, man. How about just do a real book? right? Yeah. I would just like do it. Oh, for, you know, <laughs> golly, man.
1: <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That's, that's like some serious insider trading level stuff there, man. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. If I told you the guy, you'd know it too. <laughs> so, so we've talked a lot about the mechanics of like how to think about a book. It's more than just writing words on a page. There's a strategy to the content. There's a strategy pr- to promoting it. Um, and I imagine that you go into a lot of details in your book, publish, promote Prof- profit, which we can talk about here in a second. But before we get to that, I want to I want to hear from you. Are there ever people that approach you and you're like, you know what? You're not ready to write a book yet or the timing is not good for you. Is that, and, and what are the reasons for that? Is it, you're just way too busy right now, so it doesn't make sense. Or you're in the middle of a story that in three years is going to be a fantastic book, but you got to write it out first. Or, you know, hey, like the, you know, the reason you would write a book, I just don't see how it's going to get you the results you're looking for. Like what what would be the reasons you would tell someone, not to write a book right now?
0: Uh, three, your third thing more than anything else. Um, you know, the, the biggest issue that I see with people is um, unrealistic expectations or no plan, um, expectations with no real uh, plan or, or, you know, vision going forward. Um, you know, I wrote my first book uh, 15 years ago. I started writing my first book. On the heels of a, a big business failure. Uh, you remember 15 years ago, uh, I don't know how old you were at that time, but 15 years ago was the beginning of the great recession. The stock market was down 60%. Real estate was down 50 to 60%. Uh, my business, you know, went from doing a hundred million a year in transactions to zero. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a really difficult time. I wrote my book on the heels of that, um, pivoting into a brand new business. So. So I, I am like the poster child of you know you, you can write a book to actually build your business on the back of I've done that several times now so you don't have to have had a business for ten years or fifteen years to to write your book you can write your book and then as long as you're an expert at it right you can't make it all up but you can write your book that that builds the business the biggest challenge that that we have that we end up turning people away is like they they think that you know, it's all about royalties. They think they're going to sell a million copies. That's their only plan. And, you know, I don't, I'm not going to tell somebody that, that, oh, great, we can help you. (laughs) we really can't help you. No one can help you. Um, You might find some people to take your money, but no one can can really help you. However, if you have a great idea, let's talk about ways that you can build a business on the back of it or that you can use it for speaking engagements or that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. I don't know many authors that Pay the bills with book royalties. It's it's typically the speaking fees built off of it or spinning off into other projects. Yeah,
0: I do have one client that actually does make a million dollars a year in book book royalties, but it's pretty unusual. That's
1: the exception, right? Them and J.K. Rowling, right? They they can. They yeah, can well, fine. J.K.
0: did pretty. She did pretty good for herself, no doubt. I think she makes more money though on on, uh, uh, royalties from like things like movies and theme parks and, and, and other sales than just the books. But the books were certainly the, the basis for it all. For
1: sure. For sure. Well, let's dig into your book for a little bit. So I definitely think anyone who's thinking about writing a book for their business to help grow their business, to grow their personal brand, I think your book is a fantastic next step for them. Uh, what can someone expect when they jump into it? Like what kind of things are they going to learn? What's the process that you teach? Uh, just to give you like an overview, uh, so when you do click the link in the description, go and order it, uh, you kind of know what you're getting into and what you can expect.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a very pragmatic person, so I, I like to just talk about uh, the, what I think works, what has worked for me, what has worked for my clients. Uh, I give tons of case studies and examples. Publish, promote, profit is our trademark process. Publish is everything revolving around a concept to the publishing of the book. So I I go into great detail on our writing process. I I talk about the design, the things to look for because books are sold on covers and titles. The, The promotion part is all about how you promote your book, like legitimately successfully. And then there's a lot of profit information in it on, okay, how are people really making money with their books? How do you get a speaking engagement with a book? There's a process for that. Uh, how do you build a book funnel? It, it, it's not as deep as my book funnel book is going to be, but it gives a, a, a pretty solid example of how you can do that. So it's it, there are uh, tons of case studies and examples in there on on how to do these things and how to go from just an
1: idea to selling books and maybe making some cash. Perfect. Well, Rob, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sharing your expertise, giving us all a, a bird's eye view, a peek in the window of the book publishing world. And, uh, and some next steps and some thoughts for, for anyone who's thought about writing a book and how that could be strategic for their business. So thank you so much for your time.
0: Thanks, buddy. Great great to be on. Uh, really had a good time too.
1: So my number one takeaway from that discussion with Rob, where we talked about how to write a bestseller, how to approach writing a book for a business, all the ways it can come back and and uh, circle back to your business and help you grow in whatever metric matters to you, whether that's more revenue, more customers, better brand awareness and and uh, reputation, is it actually matters that it's good. Just like the story where he was, you know, sharing the story of the the woman who put together a, a cover photo and uploaded it to Amazon as a pre-sale, and how there was no way to actually save that book. Like, it just had to get taken down and started f- completely from scratch. If this is something you want to do, writing a poor book or a, a book that's not re- well-written does more damage than like like the the magnitude of that impact is much worse than the upside of writing a fantastic book. And so if you are going to write a book for your business, which I think is a great idea, if you have the bandwidth, if you have the resources, I think it's a great idea to write a book. Make sure that you go through Rob's book, Publish, Promote Profit, to make sure you understand the framework of how to be set up for success. Because you don't want to spend all this time and effort writing a book only for it to flop and have the opposite effect that you wanted it to. All right. So links to Rob's website, to his book in the description below. Really grateful for his time and hope you learned something. Maybe a little bit different than a normal episode of the Honest Marketing Podcast, but hopefully you got something nonetheless. Thanks for watching and listening. And as always, be honest.